Hello once again and welcome to part three of our devotional series based on the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter six. Today this is part three, so if you'll look at your Bibles with me or you can follow the verses on the screen, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter six, verse 14 and 15. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So here is part three of the armor of God, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Once again, let's look at this Roman soldier the way Paul did. Paul's already talked about his belt. He's talked about his breastplate, which are truth and righteousness. And next he looks at the shoes that the soldier is wearing. So let's discuss a little bit about the shoes of the Roman soldier. The boot that they would wear in the armies of Rome, a boot was called a caliga. In fact, if you re recall in maybe Bible history, church history, there was a, an emperor in the first century AD. His name was Emperor Caligula. Caligula, his real name is Gaius. But when Gaius was a young little boy, he was the son of a great soldier, commander, or a general of the Roman legion. And as a little boy, Gaius would, as a two or three-year-old, dress up in, in these um, uh, sort of homemade uh, soldier armor and, and, and the shoes, and, and he would act as a little boy, act as a, a Roman soldier. And very affectionately, all the Roman soldiers gave him a nickname, Caligula, which means little boot. And so the emperor, Caesar Caligula, that's not his real name, it was a nickname given to him because when he was little, he wore these shoes, or at least homemade shoes, of what the Roman soldiers wore. They are called Caliga. And they were made out of leather and metal. In fact, I, I took one of my daughters, I'm sure she won't mind, uh, this is one of my daughter's old pair of sandals, but I, I took these because, or I took this because I think it looks a, a lot like what we see in pictures of Roman soldiers' shoes. Because just like this, they would be, uh, on the bottom of the shoe, there would be two plates of metal, one here and the other here, so that it would be flexible in the middle as they walked. And they would simply just put their foot on top of the, the sole of the shoe, and then there would be leather straps that would come from the bottom and wrap around their feet, much like what we have today in our sneakers that we wear. Uh, but here in this shoe, you can see these leather straps that come, they're tied in the middle, and then they can lace them up. Now they could lace them here, maybe towards the ankle. Sometimes they would lace about halfway up the calf area of the soldier's uh, leg. But these Caligulas, when they wore them, they were tightly fitted. And they needed to be because sometimes the soldiers could march for more than 25 miles per day. So it took a lot. But the real secret of these shoes were not the metal plates or the leather straps. The secret was on the bottom of these shoes. Because on the bottom, they would hammer through spikes. A lot like you might see today in, in many of the athletes that play baseball, soccer, football. I know our, our brother Julio from church, he knows a lot about wearing cleats. Uh, but when athletes wear cleats, 
They are shoes made usually of leather that are tied on like a sneaker, but on the bottom they've got these rubber or uh, metal knobs or spikes that are on the bottom of the shoe. They're called cleats. And the reason why they wear that is because when they're playing the game, they would look quite silly if they wore normal sneakers. There would be no traction at all on the ground. They couldn't make swift cuts and, and they couldn't do many of the things that they do uh, in sports today. But the cleats help keep them grounded, keep them from slipping, and they can hold their ground when necessary. Well, in the same way, these spikes, sometimes they were like knobs. Other times they were anywhere from an inch to three inches long. Nails, spikes coming out the bottom of the shoe. And the reason why they had these was for number one, for defensive reasons. When they would stand in a line facing the enemy and the enemy would come and make their assault and make their charge upon the Romans, they would put their feet firm on the ground and those spikes would help them stand firm even though they're trying to be pushed back by the enemy. So defensively, they were able to stand firm and not be moved. But also they were offensive because when it came to hand-in-hand -hand combat, fighting against the enemy, they could take their boot and kick their enemy. And if they kicked them just right, they could pierce the thighs of their enemy or anywhere on their legs, thus handicapping, uh, handicapping the, the enemy, and then you could, uh, I guess, kill the, the enemy after that. But they were very defensive as well as offensive. And when they wore those spikes underneath the shoes, and then they would march through the cities, not just in Rome, but in all the cities where the kingdom of Rome was expanding. You could hear the thunder of the marching foot by foot with these steel um, knobs or spikes banging into the ground as they marched. You could hear it like thunder and it was very intimidating. Archaeologists today, they can still excavate some of the ancient cities of Rome and, and the, the empire of Rome. And if they look closely, they still find piercings or holes, rivets in the ground itself from the constant marching of the Roman soldiers wearing these kinds of shoes. Pretty incredible. You may not think of things like that when you look at the shoe that the, the soldier wore. Rome was known in their battles to completely crush their enemies. And that was actually literal as well. They would march and as they fought in the battle and killing their enemies, they would just continue marching over the dead bodies of the enemies. In fact, a lot of times when the Roman soldiers would, would um, train for battle, they would purposely go into a field filled with mud, deep mud, and they had to learn how to fight even though they are knee deep in the mud. Why? Because sometimes in the battlefield, the bodies and the blood would be so deep they needed to learn how to keep on marching and fighting through such conditions. You may not think, you may not think of all these things when you look at those shoes of a Roman soldier, but this is what Paul had in mind. You know, when they would march in the city, they would not stop marching and you couldn't stop them either. There might be someone who perhaps wanted to protest against war, protest against the Roman legions or the Roman government. And so they might run out into the street and sort of stand there in the way and protest. But if they did such things, there are many stories that you read 
where the Romans would not stop. They would just run over or march over that individual and they would pound them into the ground with their feet. And many people lost their lives because they tried doing such things. So Paul looks at these shoes on the Roman soldier, looking at them and knowing what they, how they're used and what they mean to the soldier as well. And he says, there, here, this is the gospel of peace. Peace. You wouldn't think Paul would say such things knowing what these shoes do, but in Paul's mind, he said they are the gospel of peace. So with that, let's try to figure out why Paul would make that comparison. So first of all, what is peace? Well, we read in the Bible that there are two kinds of peace. The first one we receive when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The second one we can't have unless we have the first kind of peace. So what are they? Number one, we have peace with God. As Romans chapter 5 talks about in the very first verse, it says that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and now we have peace with God through Jesus, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to have peace with God? Well, it is because every person in this world, in Romans chapter 5, every person is called a sinner, is called helpless because they have no strength to change their condition. And number three, they're called enemies of God. All mankind, as they live in rebellion against God, they are enemies against God. But praise the Lord, he has made peace with man through Jesus Christ, through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the, the shed blood of Jesus, we can know what it is to have peace with God. No longer enemies, no longer at war against God, but we can call him Father. In fact, Jesus says to call him friend. We have peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, it says that through Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. Reconcile means to come back into a peaceful relationship. But notice what Romans says. Notice what Paul says. We have been reconciled to God. Now, normally, if we're at war with someone, if we're in a, uh, a bad situation, maybe we've been fighting. Let's, let's consider a husband and wife who maybe have been fighting. Both have done something wrong. Both are at fault with something, and they go through a fight. We say what they need is to be reconciled with each other. The husband needs to be reconciled with the wife and vice versa. They need to come to a reconciliation with each other. But notice Paul does not say that we are to be reconciled with God because that would imply I'm at fault and God's at fault. We've both said things we shouldn't have. We've both done things that we shouldn't have and we both need to apologize and be reconciled with each other. That's not what the Bible teaches. God has not done anything wrong. He has not spoken anything wrong. He has not acted in the way that is wrong. We are the ones who have sinned against God. So we are not reconciled with God. We are reconciled to God. How is it? Through Jesus Christ. If you remember from last devotional about the righteousness of Jesus, that on the cross we sort of made a trade with Jesus. He took upon himself our sin, 
and we took upon ourselves the righteousness of Jesus. And it's because of this fact that now we can have peace. Peace with God. Praise the Lord for that. That is something that we all need. No matter who we are or where we're from, we all need peace with God. And once we have peace with God, we then have what the Bible calls the peace of God. You know, there are many Christians today who may have peace with God, but they're not experiencing the peace of God in their lives. The peace of God is when we remember who we are now in Christ Jesus. When we can remember that our lives as children of God are in his hands and he knows what he's doing. Having the peace of God can look at a current difficult circumstance or situation and yet have peace and calm inside, knowing that even though I must walk through a difficult thing, God is with me. Perhaps God brought me here for such a time as this. Perhaps if I think about it, he has prepared me to face what I'm about to face. Having that peace of God in our hearts, it, it holds us. It, it calms our minds and it calms our hearts as the book of Philippians teaches us. And again, it comes through Jesus. Do you have the peace of God in your life? When we have the peace of God, no matter what comes against us, just as the soldier would, would put his feet in the ground, those spikes deep in the mud, and he would not be moved no matter what came against him. Do you have that same testimony? That no matter what comes against you, you will not be moved. Peace holds you steady. And peace keeps you moving forward. The peace of God. Jesus comforted his disciples in the Gospel of John. Before he was to be crucified, he comforted them with these words. And it deals with peace. He said to them in, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he spoke of two places and what happens in these two places that we live. Number one, he said to them, in me, you will have peace. And then he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Let's look at it the opposite way. In the world, we have tribulation. In him, we have peace. In that one verse, Jesus talks about two places where we live. One place is when we look around, we know that we are currently living in this world. We know that we don't belong here anymore. We know that we are just pilgrims passing through and we're going to our final home. But right now, as I'm speaking to you, we are in the world. And in the world, we will suffer through tribulations. All kinds of tribulations. Not just persecution, but all the, the challenges of life and all the sorrows and the griefs of life. There are many tribulations that we go through. In the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. But he also says, in me. That's another place. Not just in the world, but in Christ. We will have peace. That means that while we are in this world, even more real than that, we are in Christ Jesus. So yes, we can look around and say, I am in the world. But even closer than that, my life is in Jesus Christ. And if I'm in him, he says, I will have peace. Isn't that beautiful? 
Yes, in the world we have tribulation. In Christ we have peace. And you know, there are pictures of this reality in the Old Testament. Think of Noah as a great example. When Noah was on that ark, in the ark of God, and God shut him in that ark, he and his family. Think of what was outside that ark. Yes, Noah was in the world. Of course he was. That ark, Noah and his families, they were in the world. And all around them was tribulation. All around them was wrath, floodwaters, and, and death, and screams and cries from people. All of that was outside. They were in the world going through that tribulation. But even more than that, they were in the ark. And whoever was in that ark, they had peace in the midst of all the dangers and the storms in the world. What a beautiful picture for us to remember that all the tribulation that may happen on the outside through the world, the world which we live in, we are in the ark that is Christ. And in the ark, we can know peace. It doesn't mean we escape the world. No, we're still here, but we have peace in the midst of it. Think of also what David said in Psalm 23. Many of the Psalms, David explains that he is often hunted by his enemies. They chase after him. They are hunting after him for one purpose. They want to kill him. Many times, like in Psalm 3, David, knowing that there are tens of thousands that surround him, he says in so many words, tonight, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to rest. And tomorrow morning, I'll wake up. And we think, who can sleep during a time like that? David did, because he knew he had the peace of God in his life. And also in Psalm 23, David says, even in the midst of my enemies, which surround me, there are many, but even in the midst of my enemies, the ones who hunt me, the ones who chase me and want me dead, in the midst of them, the Lord prepares a table for me. He welcomes me to sit at his table. And even in the midst of all the enemies that surround me, there is a table prepared for me to sit with my Lord, my shepherd. We dine with each other. We commune with each other. That was peace in the midst of tribulations and persecutions around David. So once again, do you have peace with God? I hope you do, because without it, we will be enemies of God. We will be lost. And as Romans says, we are helpless in that situation. But God demonstrated his own love for us, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And through Jesus Christ, not only can we wear his righteousness, but we are brought in a peace relationship with God. Do you have the peace with God and do you have the peace of God? The Bible says, Paul says that the peace of God, it will rule your life. In other words, peace will direct you. Peace will call the shots. Peace will be the answer to all that you go through in this world. Do you have the peace of God in you right now? The more you know who you are in Christ, I believe the more peace you will have in your life. And so, with all of this, we know that our enemy, he does not want us to be at peace. Surely he doesn't want anybody to have the peace with God. 
And even for Christians who have found that, he doesn't want them to have the peace of God ruling in their hearts. And so, in many ways, Satan will try to get in front of us as we walk through this world, as we journey through life. Maybe he will also protest against it, and he'll try to stand in our way and stop us. So what do we do? What do we do in the face of our enemy who tries to take away our joy, take away our confidence in the Lord, who perhaps does things in our life to bring fear and worry? What do we do? We keep marching. We keep going and we do not stop. Just as the Roman soldiers would not stop and if need be, they would march on top of anybody who stopped them or who attempted to stop them in the same way. Romans 16 verse 20 says this, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The God of peace, he will crush Satan. That word crush literally means like stepping onto a grape. Here in Indonesia in the nighttime, so often there are snails that come out of everywhere, big shells and these sluggish type uh, things come out of the, the grass. It's really, to me, disgusting. But if you're not careful, you will, like I have, in your bare feet at night, I have stepped on one of those. And you hear a crush. Then you hear a squish. And you feel that nasty snail being smushed under your foot. It's, it's disgusting to think about. But that's what the Bible's talking about when it says that the God of peace will crush will smash Satan under your feet shortly. Now that word shortly, there are many scholars who don't think that Paul's talking about in a short time to come. Like not long from now, God will do this. Instead, there are many that believe what Paul is talking about shortly, in other words, describing the march of the Roman soldiers. Their march step by step they were short and they were strong. And as they marched on and on, they would crush. They would do it so hard to leave holes and rivets in the ground. And so many think that Paul is talking about this march. As we march for the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, we will crush Satan under our feet. And again, it's not by our own power that we do this. It says that the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet shortly. As we march by faith, we will crush Satan by the power of God. And so let me end with this. What is Satan trying to stop? Yes, he's trying to stop you from having that peace of God in your heart, but I can guarantee you he wants to stop you, Christian, from sharing this peace with someone else. Notice these shoes are not called the shoes of peace. Paul calls them the shoes of the gospel of peace. Gospel meaning good news. We have good news to tell. And the good news is there can be peace with God. And I believe Satan will do anything he can to stop you from spreading that message of the gospel of peace to somebody else. Do you know in ancient days, in times of war and battle, in times of uncertainty and worry, many cities would 
wall themselves with a great wall and they would set the watchmen over those walls in their towers and the watchmen would look for any danger that would come in to sound the alarm for the city and when the city knew that there's war going on and they don't know what's going to come and they're bundled up in their homes worried about what might come their way the watchman would watch and if he should see someone or a company of people coming toward the city he would send out someone to rush to them quickly with the question is it peace is it peace in other words are you coming with peace or are you coming with war and so they they would go and hope that whoever's coming our way would answer in the affirmative yes we come with peace and then all the city could breathe once again and be relaxed and be joyful that peace is being proclaimed this whole world i believe wants to know is it peace is peace coming will there ever be peace well paul uses this very real time of war and I'm sure he knew very well about what this meant. In fact, if you read in the Old Testament, there are stories about such things. But Paul says, he uses that, that illustration perhaps, and he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, how shall they preach unless they are sent? In other words, there are people who need to hear. But how are they going to hear unless somebody goes? And how is somebody going to go unless somebody is sent by God to preach the news to them? And so Paul says, and how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How lovely are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Oh, as Paul mentions here, when someone goes to bring the gospel of peace to another individual, to a family, to a friend, to a coworker, Paul says, maybe the world doesn't look at it like this, but from heaven's viewpoint, how lovely are the feet that swiftly go to preach the gospel of peace to those who are in need of peace. And so Christian, brother and sister, let us march forward wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace, having peace, having confidence in that peace in such a way that we will not be moved, we will not be in fear, but we will continue to go forward and bring this gospel of peace. May we, just as the Romans did, may we puncture the ground. May there be holes and rivets. May we be the generation where people re re will remember that we were the ones who set holes in the streets, from the homes to the streets, to the malls, to the coffee shops, to the restaurants, to the people's homes, because we have been marching to spread the gospel of peace to those who are in need. And I believe that once somebody hears that gospel and receives Jesus, they will also say, how lovely are the feet that ran swiftly to tell me that I can have peace with God. So once again, May we, the church, may we leave behind rivets, punctures in the ground, because we were the ones who spread the gospel of peace. And no matter what Satan does to stop us, we will march on. 
because we have the greatest news the world could ever hear. Jesus Christ has come. He has died and he has risen again. And through him and him alone, we have peace with God. May that peace settle your mind, settle your heart, and may you be moved by the Spirit of God to share that gospel with someone else today. Amen. God bless you.